Hello and welcome back to Bandora's Palace, a tokusatsu podcast home to monsters in rubber suits, heroes in full body spandex, and giant robots made of other smaller giant robots. I'm Steven. And I'm Pat. And we will be returning to the literal ass hell for the conclusion of Tuesday's epic cliffhanger with episode four of Kyoru Sentai Z-Ranger. Now, today's episode is Reawaken Legendary Weapons, or, and I'm going to butcher this one, uh, Yomagiri Densetsu Nobuki, which aired initially on March 13th of 1992. Uh, This episode, as with the previous one, was written by Noboru Sujimura and directed by Takeshi Ogasawara. Now, Pat, we left off on a huge cliffhanger in the last episode. We left off Mid-giant fight, Kid turned into stone, everyone in the land of despair, and just not doing real great. With that being said, what are you hoping to get out of today's episode? I mean, I'd like to be introduced to our legendary weapons at some point. That would be ideal. You know, kind of see what happens with this this Zord fight. You know, you've got three people in Zords going after the Minotaur. See how that gets concluded. And really see how how we get the legendary weapons and how we like conclude the whole uh, Hiroshi and stone quest. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like again, we, we left on a pretty massive cliffhanger and not one that was looking great for our protagonists either. Like they spent most of the episode getting ruckus until they finally managed to fight themselves to a standstill essentially with all five guardian beasts. And like, that makes me wonder like if, if it's Megazord time, like is it Megazord time now? But it feels like it, it would be way too early in a new episode for that. And, and also Again, as the name indicates, like this two-parter is about the weapons, not as much about the guardian beasts, even though we saw several of them for the first time. So I I really don't know where this episode is going to go from here. I am really excited to find out. Now, as always, for you guys listening at home, uh, this episode and all of the episodes of Kyo Ryu Sentai Z Ranger are available streaming absolutely free on Shout Factory TV, uh, which has more platforms than you can shake a stick at. Uh, They have a web app. They have a mobile app, a Roku channel. Literally, if you have a device that can stream video, you can stream Shout Factory on it. It is a service that could not possibly be more convenient or And I cannot stress this enough, more free. It's not even an ad platform. Like the only time I ever get an ad when streaming on Shout Factory is for other shit on Shout Factory. Like they don't do any outside ads or at least not on their their web app or their mobile app. I've got a couple on the Roku channel. They have a total of like four ads throughout the episode. 
Okay. Okay. So I guess your mileage may vary depending on the platform that you, you used to view. Um, but yeah, a really convenient, totally free platform. Um, and if, if any of the madness that we've described thus far has you intrigued, I really cannot encourage you enough to watch. It is well worth the time and the energy and the cost, which is again, zero dollars. But all right, with that said, let's go ahead and jump into episode four. Reawaken Legendary Weapons. Alright guys, so we come out of the credits or the, the, the opening sequence, I suppose I should say. And and we come into the episode on a, a brief recap, reminding us again, that we are in the land of despair, that the legendary weapons are, are MacGuffin. Uh, our heroes are on a quest to retrieve them. They are in an ongoing giant fight. And Hiroshi is a very sad statue boy. We then immediately cut up into Bandora's palace where the creepy cuckoo clock is going off and Bandora gloats that they only have half a day left before all the rangers turn to stone, reminding us of the immediate stakes before we finally cut back down to the action that we left in Media Res last episode. And at this point, we pick up right where we left off with Tyrannosaurus and Dora Minotaur just going all fisticuffs at each other. Like, Minotaur is not using his horn lasers. Tyrannosaurus is not using his mouth guns. They are just punching each other, which is really good, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then suddenly the sky turns dark and full of lightning. And we cut back to Bandora on the moon, who laments that it's becoming night in the land of despair. And apparently night is genuinely dangerous in hell, uh, particularly dangerously cold. Who would have thought? Yeah, yeah. I mean, cold is not usually something I associate with the Underworld, but okay. So Bandora calls for Dora Minotaur to retreat, and he does. He just slaps Tyrannosaurus one more time in the face, throws his hands out, and disappears. Which, this is something that really frustrates me a lot in Power Rangers when the bad guys are winning, and they're just like, ah, arbitrary reason to retreat. Come back, monster. And then they retreat. But in this case... I gotta say, it's very cold, and Dora Minotaur is very naked. So I get it. <laughs> if someone is going to freeze, it's gonna be the dude who's just fighting with his dong out. So yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, so our ranger friends are confused, but Dan is quick to capitalize, calling for them to get to the castle and get this damn thing done. At which point, Triceratops is just sick of Dan's bullshit and throws him out. Which mood, mood, Triceratops, big mood. <laughs> and apparently Tyrannosaurus and Zeu Mammoth both do the same to their rangers. I actually, for half a moment, I was on Dan's side. And I was like, you know, he's a shit, but like, this was maybe the most reasonable thing he's ever said in his existence as a character. Uh, but Goshi then informs us that the Guardian Beasts are saying that the Rangers need to go on this quest alone, that they will not help them get the weapons. And the Triceratops Zor just nods like all sage and wise, even though it's a giant dinosaur robot. 
Okay. <laughs> I mean, it makes it makes a certain amount of sense. This is this is their journey. It is a personal journey for these rangers or these these heroes to claim their weapon. Absolutely. And again, as we have established, like these are not the Zords of Power Rangers. These are not like unknowing, unfeeling machines for their their use. They're they're not weapons. These are are guardian spirits. Uh, They are sentient. They are sapient. They have their own agency. And that agency right now is basically like you have to prove your worthiness. We know we're worthy. We already kicked Bandora's ass once already. But yeah, Dan is just pissed about this. Like, he is absolutely furious that this Triceratops has dared to spite him. (laughs) And we cut to the title screen on Dan throwing a pissy fit. When we come back from the title screen, we come back on Dan, Goshi, and Geki, who are now back in their normal forms, wearing their old-timey clothes. And I actually, I need to make a retraction and an apology from our last episode Geki is not wearing a rad 1980s style pleather jacket. He just has like a tiny pleather jacket over like red, like medieval times clothes like everybody else is wearing. But because they're the exact same shade of red when he's moving and he almost always is, it blends together and looks like one big jacket. So he is not like dressed out of character as compared to his compatriots, but he does have a very like tiny crop top jacket with big, big shoulder pads, which is if anything, a much more hilarious look. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, we cut back to, to Dan, Goshi and Geki. Now they're demorphed and they're sitting around a fire on the same plane with the stone warriors that they can't seem to get away from here in the land of despair. Uh, it is now night and it is it is snowing. It is snowing wildly. They are in a blizzard and they are all clearly cold. They're rubbing their hands and huddling close to the fire. And once again, Dan is bitching again, as usual. But Goshi just reminds him that they're not going anywhere without the weapons. He's just got to deal with it. That's my boy. Yeah, yeah. Goshi is Every time Dan does something to make me hate him more, Goshi does something to make me love him more. Uh, it's it's great. I love it. <laughs> uh, so Geki reminds us that the time is running out and and Dan is worried about what Bandora is going to do at this point to try to interfere. Goshi stands up and examines the stone warriors and reminds our heroes that if they fail, this will be them. Geki worries about May and Boy and wonders if they found Hiroshi. Uh, and on this very somber note of reflection from our heroes, we cut to May and Boy, who are by their own campfire, standing over the now petrified Hiroshi. Now, this is kind of an interesting character scene because May is is absolutely desperate to find a way to help Hiroshi, and Boy has already crossed that bridge. He has mentally sacrificed that this happened. I can't fix it. We have goals. Uh, Boy is totally given up on Hiroshi and is just determined, okay, it's time for us to link up with Geki, get the weapons, and get out. I don't know if he's given up on Hiroshi, but he's definitely looking at it with a bit more pragmatism. It's like, there's nothing I can do. He's very pragmatic and goal-oriented. Like, I'm not saying that if a method of saving Hiroshi cropped up, that Boy would not pursue it with everything he had. But right now, he has nothing There are other things that need attending to, and he has just wholly mentally shifted. It it is an entirely cerebral calculation for him. He is not letting it be emotional. And May clearly is. She is horrified that Boy is, is 
giving up. Uh, but Boy points out, and not without merit, that their time is limited, and if they fail to get the weapons, or worse, fail to get out of the land of despair, then Bandora just wins. And reluctantly, May agrees. She promises Statue Hiroshi that they'll be back as soon as they get the weapons, but they do leave to go look for Geki and crew. And at this point, we cut to initially what's almost unrecognizable. It's just like a strange light in a blue field, but it slowly becomes apparent that this is the sun of this very, of this desolate place. Like it doesn't look like our sun in our sky, but it is like a ball of pale light in a blue field. And as it pans out, it is the sky over the land of despair, which, which I think is actually like a, a really cool bit of cinematography to establish that they are, you know, kind of strangers in a strange land at this point, that this is not home. But it is day once again. Our heroes have waited out the night and, and survived it. We cut down to Geki, Goshi, and Dan, and they are running across the barren fields, uh, clearly a little bit disoriented and confused about the fact that they haven't been attacked. There's been no Doris Minotaur. There has been uh, no putties, nothing. They're just traveling again. Um, and they're just kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop. Geki theorizes that either Bandora is waiting for the proper moment to strike, or at this point, she's just confident that she doesn't need to strike, that they are doomed without her intervention, neither of which are, are particularly comforting hypotheses. Um, <laughs> no. Our heroes come up to an incline, and maybe Bandora is right. Maybe these guys are just boned, because we can clearly see that once again, they have become disoriented and gone in a circle. Before them are the same stone men, and their campfire still smoldering from the night before. And at this point, these boys lose their shit, and I'm not sure I can rightly blame them after what they have been through within the last... 16 hours or so, they are all extremely frustrated, but no one more than Dan, who is clearly the, the whiniest of crybabies, he kicks a rock in frustration, and to the amazement of all, it actually hits something. It stops in midair with a thunk and just drops straight down. So our heroes rush to that spot, and they find an invisible wall. Uh, so they do their little mime routine where they're pressing their hands up against this invisible wall, and finally they decide to break it. They all three back up, lower their shoulders, and they charge it. And I fully expected them to, like, bounce off and hurt themselves. I was totally expecting that, too. Like, just a thunk. Yeah. But against all logic, this actually works. They break through this invisible wall in a shower of sparks, and suddenly they are in, like, an autumn forest where all the trees are barren. There's a, a layer of leaves on the ground, and the castle is directly in front of them. We then cut back to Boy and May, who are running through like a jungle, which is a biome we have not seen previously in the land of, of despair. I mean, they were in trees last time. That's fair, I guess. Maybe we just didn't get a good enough look for me to recognize it as being like this dense. But like this much like green foliage is not something that I recall seeing. But maybe you're right. Maybe this is where May and Boy have been the entire time. And it's just escaped me. Uh, it certainly would not be the first time. But yeah, they are in this dark jungle. They come to the tree line and are immediately assaulted by lightning from the sky. We get the same shot of the dark sky with lightning everywhere. So apparently in different parts of the land of darkness, like it's different, like weather, different times of day, which it didn't seem like it was that big of a place, but, but maybe it is. Or, or again, there's clearly weird magical stuff going on here. So I'm not going to. I mean, we are in hell. We are in literal ass hell. You are correct. But yeah, so there's lightning from the sky. 
they they hover on the tree line for a minute and try to decide what to do before ultimately making a run for it, dodging lightning bolts as they run because they are coming down fast and furious and everywhere. But ultimately, they come to a dead end and things are looking real bad for our heroes. But lightning strikes the wall in front of them and reveals a door. So boy rushes to open it, which, yeah, I get it. Like it's that or become Kentucky Fried Boy. (laughs) But he, he tries to become Kentucky Fried Boy anyway, because he is greeted for his trouble by a gout of fire. Apparently, this door has a flamethrower inside of it. Well, one side of the door does. There's two handles. Is there? Yeah, there's two handles, one on each side of the door. I I literally missed that. That makes what comes next make a lot more sense then. Because, yeah, Boy jumps back and dodges the fire and manages to get behind the door and get it closed. And I just noticed that he decided to open it again, but I'm guessing he chose the other handle this time. Yeah, he spent he spent a solid couple of moments, like, puzzling over which handle to go to first. And then he chose the left handle, which opened for the flamethrower. And then after he managed to run through the flamethrower and close the door, he immediately grabbed the right side handle, pulled that open. Yeah, I must have been taking notes at that moment. So that's my bad. Um, I just assumed it was a trap that extinguished itself. Um, But he opens the second handle and... Apparently that was the trick. Uh, There is no fire on the other side of this same door when opened from that direction. Instead, the door opens into a black space that is full of stars. So what do we do? Boy and May just walk right in. Of course. Because at this point, what else are they going to do? Just stand there and get struck by lightning. And they fall. They fall and fall only to land directly in front of Geki, Goshi, and Dan in the forest. So... Again, weird, like, space continuum bullshit here in literal Christian hell. Uh, But finally, our heroes are together again. Geki asks them if they were successful, if they found Hiroshi. And May sadly relays to him that that they did, but that they couldn't prevent him from turning to stone. Uh, And all of our heroes kind of share a moment of sadness over this. But there's no time to stand around being sad for a sad boy, especially because being sad here is actually physically dangerous to you. (laughs) So Geki informs them like they have an hour remaining. They got to get while the getting is good and they take off at a run for the castle. So at this point, we cut back up to Bandora, who is watching them from her telescope in in her palace. And she tells us that the rangers have arrived at the final challenge, which is she calls the cave. But their luck is spent because the cave is the hardest challenge of them all. And she just taunts them to give up, follow their destiny and just turn to stone already. So with with this, like this obviously shows that she's seen people go through this before. She has watched heroes attempt this challenge and fail, which I think is really cool. Is like that that shows the the amount of time and the kind of people that have all tried to stop her. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like I think that we'll do more like direct comparison stuff. I think like towards the end of this season of our show, but like Rita Repulsa is a very good children's television villain in that she is like like creepy without being overly scary like like she's f- funny and good comic relief and, and all of that good stuff but Bandora as a character despite again having all of the same like scenes all of the same physical acting is is so much more menacing of a villain than Rita ever thought to be. Absolutely. 
And, and I don't know that that would have sold to an American audience, particularly with how the next villain Power Rangers introduces sells to American parents and the changes that they make based on that feedback. But it's it's a very interesting counterpoint uh, and one that's kind of refreshing for someone who has watched so much Power Rangers. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but we cut back down to our heroes and they are heading into this cave uh, and going downstairs underground where once again, they're surrounded by stone warriors and they spot a large sword with a golden hilt sticking out of a block of stone. And boy goes right for it going, look, legendary weapon. We found it done. Uh, was that boy or was that Dan? No, it was boy. Okay. I'm pretty sure. I'm I'm almost positive it was boy. Goshi, who paid attention because the legend was actually in his book, uh, stops him and tells him this clearly isn't right. There are five legendary weapons and something is strange about this sword besides. And we get some like menacing camera angles of this sword and no spoilies for things to come. But Pat, maybe you remember better than I do. There is a particular sword of of menacing importance that that shows up later at least in the Power Rangers season is this the same blade does it look the same to you no no they're they're very different size like this blade is much much wider and has a very lo- much larger hilt that's what I thought as well, but I didn't remember clearly. And I just, I think it's interesting that they're introducing all these evil swords. That's all I'm saying. Evil swords are a fun time. Evil swords are good. Yes. No, no question. So there is like a little like museum placard beneath this, this sword in the stone, which may reads. And it says that this is their final challenge to release the evil sword. They start debating how a sword could be evil, but Dan just doesn't give even half a fuck and just grabs it. He's like, well, challenge is to release the sword. I'm releasing it. Challenge accepted. <laughs> and Dan just immediately turns into a whole ass demon. Uh, he gets like k- kabuki face paint and fangs as red lightning surges from the sword into him. And his friends manage to pry him from it. My boy Goshi. As soon as he's no longer touching it, he returns to normal. So Dan is now terrified, experiencing the rational emotion he should have felt before he touched the evil sword. It just filled me with pure evil. I could do nothing about it. He says as soon as he grabbed it, his mind was filled with evil. And and boy is pissed. He's just ranting that this is impossible. It's unfair. But Geki just steps up to the plate and is just like, this has to be done. I'm going to do it. So Geki grabs the hilt and he is also immediately assaulted with red lightning. But if Pokemon has taught us anything, it's that types resist themselves. And so Geki the Red Boy is resistant to the damage of the Red Lightning. Yes, that is that is absolutely correct. And he manages to pull the sword from the stone, which I think makes him the King of England now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so Geki also goes all demon-faced, and he starts just, like, swinging the sword wildly at his friends, trying to fuck him up. But Goshi... Big ol' gorilla hands Goshi uh, manages to jump on his back and restrain him. And again, I think this is really important and really cool for Geki's character because, like, Goshi doesn't pull the sword from his hands. He just slows him down enough to be like, Geki, Geki, fight it. And Geki fucking fights it. Like, Geki regains control of himself and throws the sword away, um, which I think is way doper than, like, any degree of, like, them forcing it away from him. 
just fucking chucks that thing directly into the wall. He just chucks it at the wall and it proceeds to explode. So I don't, I don't want to know what that sword was made of, frankly. Evil. Pure evil. It was a Legend of Zelda bomb. He placed it on the wall and the wall blew up and they got doo-doo-doo-doo and, and the path forward was opened. Uh, and our heroes hurry on. At this point, we cut to the commercial break. And when we come back, finally, the reward is in sight. Our heroes have found the legendary weapons. Unfortunately, and, and I think that, Pat, you were on to something here earlier because Bandora, all of her usual henchmen and Dora Minotaur have all beaten them there and are waiting behind the weapons. So clearly, again, uh, Barza established last episode that Bandora can't touch these weapons because they will burn her to death. Um, and clearly that is the only thing that has kept her from directly interfering because she knew exactly how to get right to them. Uh, but Bandora congratulates them on making it this far, but taunts that she won't let them have the weapons. She then uses her magic staff to freeze them in place and summons the creepy cuckoo clock to taunt them with the knowledge that soon they'll be stoned just like Hiroshi. So I really like this because she acknowledges that they're Worthy. They have earned these weapons. But I'm not going to let you have them. And then uses, you know, she uses her magic and is just a total roadblock. She is their ultimate challenge. And ha they have to find a way to, to overcome that. Yeah, absolutely. Like, again, she is she is the big bad and she is not playing by the rules. She is not playing fair. And as the heroes, they have to find a way to overcome that. The clock turns to 24 and they all start turning to stone, starting with their feet, working their way up. And Bandora laughs and taunts them as they slowly transform. And at this point in the moment where all seems lost, our heroes seem destined for a life as statuary. Uh, Geki pulls his fourth and 10 Hail Mary pass and just starts talking to the weapons, telling them, hey, we've passed all your challenges. We have a right to wield you. You were made to defeat evil. Bandora, that bitch right there, is evil incarnate. And over the course of this monologue, Bandora herself, like, starts out real arrogant and then, like, becomes genuinely concerned by the end of it. She's just like, uh, this isn't gonna work, is it? What? Does, does this kid know something I don't? What the hell's happening? <laughs> yeah. So the camera cuts to each of the weapons in turn as Geki extends one hand. And apparently, in addition to being Link and King Arthur, Geki is also a whole ass Jedi. Because as he puts his hand out, all the weapons glow and Geki just force pulls them into their hands. Okay, not quite. He stretches his hand out. They start glowing. He immediately drops his hand. It's like, what? It worked? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, again, he didn't know this shit was going to work either. He was just trying something. The power of friendship and and banding together against evil conquers all. Absolutely. So, first the sword appears for Geki, then the axe to Goshi, the spears to Dan, daggers to Boy, and the bow and arrow to Mei. And as they each take hold of their weapons, the spell of this place is broken. Our heroes are flesh and blood once more and are free of Bandora's wicked magic. And at this point, Dora Minotaur seemingly knows that he's in deep shit and he just summons like a total ass load of putties. Uh, and we get the obligatory badass new weapons putty fight. For about four minutes, each of our heroes just goes ham on some putties with their new toys. 
like highlights include Dan playing with the fact that his spears can be used separately and also combine into one long double-ended spear, which is very cool. Goshi just absolutely dominates a couple of them with his big axe. It's a, it's a very good fight scene overall. Boy manages to not get his daggers cut in half, which is a new record. And May just kind of like ineffectually flails around her with her bow, which is somehow effective. I want to take a moment and point out the soundtrack to this scene. The background music on this scene is freaking baller, first off. Like, straight up great song. Would listen to on the regular. But it it really gives that feeling of triumphantness of having conquered this place and gotten these weapons and and really earned, like, this this win. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like I have some final thoughts that kind of kind of touch on this, but this is very much this is not a case of the Rangers being given like a deus ex machina. Like these episodes have made it very clear that they have earned this new and powerful toy. That this is this is very much something that they have grown into rather than just having handed to them. Um however, Bandora is the big bad. She's going to prove why she's the boss. Uh, she grows herself big which is not something I think we have ever seen a big bad do before. She grows big enough to stand on the bottom of hell. Yes, she picks up the whole ass land of despair in her hands and just starts shaking it, saying that she's going to destroy the land of despair and the rangers along with it. And at this point, Griffey decides to get his shit in. He just charges a fireball and launches it from his sword. And the rangers dodge and the fireball opens a hole in the wall, which reveals Hiroshi's mom behind it. How she got there, no fucking idea. Uh, But the rangers hurry to her rescue. Uh, Griffey threatens them and they grab her and run outside. Dora Minotaur is waiting outside for them and the boys tell May to take Hiroshi's mom and run. Which is kind of weird because she does. She grabs Hiroshi's mom and she runs, but she immediately comes back. She just like tossed Hiroshi's mom into the forest, into the tree line. It was like, stay here. Yeah, you hide. <laughs> and and once again, Dora Minotaur is, is just wrecking these boys with his mace and his horn lasers. And finally, for I think the, the first time in the show, because the first morph was a little different. For the first time, we get a good group morph. They all grab their dino bucklers, do the, the it's morph in time pose, and, and become the ZU Rangers. For, I think, I, I'm probably wrong, but I think this is the first time in the show that we've gotten this particular shot. And what's really, really cool about this morph is their weapons transform with them. You know, when you think of the, the legendary weapons, you might be thinking of the power weapons from Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, but they're not initially. Like they're they're very like they're they're ornamented, but they are like metal medieval style weapons. But when the Rangers morph, the weapons also transform to become those power weapon variants of themselves. Which I thought was really cool. Like integrating into their costumes and into their style. I dig it. It's dope as hell. Like, it's very good. And and they name them all, like, variations of their dinosaur. Like, there's there's the Tricera Spears and the Tyrannosword. And the Moth Axe, which I just realized as I am saying it, that the reason that Goshi keeps calling his shit Moth is because he's shortening Mammoth into Moth, which is not anything that any English speaker would ever do. But it probably works out different in, in the Japanese. Probably. Probably, but that's fine. Um, so they, they've all got their dope weapons. And finally, our heroes have the upper hand. And 
If anything, my complaint about this particular fight scene is that it happens way too quickly. We have spent the better part of two episodes establishing that Dora Minotaur is a badass threat that the Rangers have no answer to, and suddenly they have overwhelming force on him. They jump in two at a time, they manage to knock away first his shield, then his mace, and then knock him down as Geki's sword starts to glow, and he tells us that the weapons demand to be as one. And he calls for the Howling Cannon, and we get that iconic sequence of putting these weapons together into, well, if you've never seen it, they put them together into a giant crossbow cannon, and it's awesome. Um, Like, the axe forms, like, the base and, like, trigger, like system uh the bow goes across the front to make the crossbow the daggers and the spears like make like little auxiliary guns along the wings of the bow and the sword goes on top can we take just a second to recognize what uh geki called his sword the dragon downing sword (laughs) i missed that i i only heard him call it the tyrannosaur no when he was putting it into the the howling cannon all the rest of them got their normal name but he called his sword the dragon downing sword that's radical as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, they, they call Howling Cannon. They shoot the huge, like, I'm firing my laser, laser beams. And Dora Minotaur just immediately explodes. However, the threat is not ended. Bandora is still big and is still holding this entire plane of existence in her hands and violently shaking it. It is time to go. So... They grab Hiroshi's mom as Bandora breathes a blizzard down onto the surface because breaking the very land isn't enough. She's also got to make you chilly. And as they run, they run directly into Hiroshi's statue. His mom cries and she grabs him, begs him to come back. And apparently Hiroshi's mom is a Disney fucking princess because as soon as her tears touch him, he returns to normal. Is is she from KO35 maybe? Maybe. Uh, <laughs> uh, she she is of the, the Bell bloodline, certainly. Perfect. Our heroes share a good group smile at this turn of events. They're all pleasantly surprised that this child is not dead. Uh, and then everything starts shaking again, so they pick up the pace and get the fucking move on. Uh, meanwhile, Bandora is entirely done fucking around. If that's even what she was doing in the first place... She throws the land of despair and blows it the fuck up with her staff. So no big deal. Pat, let us consider the implications of this. Is there no longer an afterlife in the world of Z Ranger because Bandora destroyed it? No, no, she just she just destroyed the land of despair. There's still she's still in the dimension of hell. There's still an afterlife there. It's just missing a bit of land. So we're saying then that the, the underworld in this mythology is like a multiverse, and she just destroyed one of its many planes. She just destroyed an island. Okay, I can get behind that. So, like, yeah, that might just be like the sadder end of Purgatory, maybe. And so now it's just like, well, now you get to go to actual ass hell now. Good job, Bandora. Okay. There is no middleman now. You are either in here all the way or not in here at all. So, so yeah, um, thousands and thousands of, like, un- unrestful souls uh, now utterly destroyed thanks to Witch Bandora giving zero fucks and having no chill. The screen cuts to black and we come back on an empty bridge, which our heroes materialize on, which I have no idea how they pulled that off. I expected them to come back out the same door they came in, into the dino shrine. How did they get on this bridge? What the fuck happened there? We will never know. The show does not feel that that is important to tell us. 
I mean, I figure it's just, like, some part of the legendary weapon quest. Like, you have completed your quest. You can go home now. We teleport you home now. All right, maybe, maybe that's it. But apparently they all know where they're at because they're not super concerned. Uh, and in a minute, Hiroshi and his mom just walk the fuck away. Just meander across this bridge. No big deal. But yeah, everyone's like super happy to be alive, which, yeah, yeah, I get it. Geki smiles and tells Hiroshi to mind his mother and study hard. And the rangers wave and bid farewell as they just walk home. And then on this genuinely happy moment, we hear Bandora. And she's calling to the ZU Rangers and we see her materialize transparent in the sky, promising that she will beat them next time. And, and at this, they all put on their serious grim faces and they hold their shiny new weapons and put them in the middle, you know, kind of to do the power Rangers, you know, as you do. And they tell the weapons that they are our trusted new friends and together we will defeat the witch Bandora. And we zoom out on this shot on our heroes in a battle pose with their shiny new weapons and the guardian beasts appear in the sky above them because we got to sell those toys. Got to get that good toy shot. Make, make all the kids want them. Uh, and then we're hit with the to be continued and we go to credits. Boop, 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 boop. Episode's done. All right, Pat, final thoughts. Uh, final thoughts. I enjoyed most of it. Like there, the blizzard overnight was kind of a kind of felt almost cop outish, but I can understand it. I live in a desert. It gets cold as hell at night, even when it's, you know, 100 degrees during the day. I agree. I agree that it felt totally strange to have the monster retreat when he has the upper hand. But I, again, I do think they did a better job of justifying that in this episode than they do generally in Power Rangers. And generally in Power Rangers, it's just like, we're winning. Bring the monster back. Like, at least this time they established, like, there is something in the environment that is a threat to our monster. So that, I think, was, was an improvement. Uh, but yes, it, it also was at the same time, very clearly, the monster is winning. We have to pull him back before he just wins. I am a, I'm a little bummed personally that we didn't get a payoff for Barza in this episode. Like, we talked about it a lot in the last one. But one of the most interesting implications of the last episode was that Barza is genuinely a part of this community. Um, that these are his people, that he has ties to them uh, and, and, like, emotional commitments and and he just doesn't even appear in this episode. Like they, they don't pay that off at all. Not even with having him like greet them when they come back and be happy that Hiroshi's okay. Uh, we get none of that, which I think is a really unfortunate dropped thread. Yeah. I didn't even think about that, but you're absolutely right. There, there was a lot of, a lot of implication that he's, he's part of the community and he's has some sort of relationship with Hiroshi and his mom. And we just kind of let that, let that fall to the wayside. Yeah, I mean, again, it happens. This episode was very full, and so I can understand how something like that, like like that, would get left behind. But I wish that it hadn't been. Uh, likewise, I wish that the final fight with Dora Minotaur had been longer and it had more back and forth. Again, we spent the better part of two episodes seeing this monster is nigh untouchable, and then suddenly it's well, got our new weapons, time to fuck him up. And I just, I wish that, I wish there had been more like ramp up, more escalation to that point. But again, you've only got so many minutes and I, I do understand that, but I, I wish maybe that time had been balanced a little differently, a little better on that, on that particular story beat. That being said, one thing I love about this two-parter, again, is just that these new weapons are not a deus ex machina. They are not just given to the rangers as, here's a fancy new toy to blow up monsters with. Like, they have to go on a whole quest. They have to overcome adversity. And so when they get that new powerful mode, like, it's earned. It is justified, and it feels theirs, and it feels satisfying that they get it. 
I'm sure we will see very soon how that compares to how it's handled in Mighty Morphin. But I distinctly remember when they get the power weapons in Mighty Morphin being like, oh, why don't they just use the Megazord though? Like, like it, it never had any real impact like it did here. Um, and so I think that was really well done. Like we got a lot of new things in this two-parter. We got our first appearance of the other four guardian beasts and we got the power weapons and the howling cannon, but they all feel like, like it feels like a natural progression of their power level and it feels earned in a way that I'm not necessarily accustomed to. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree. It's like, you know, you get to you get to watch their whole you get to watch the whole struggle, like the whole struggle through the land of despair and, you know, getting beaten down and then working your, their way back up and fighting the, the demon vampire sword challenge and and overcoming Bandora and appealing straight to the weapons themselves and, and earning the weapons trust, I guess. You're right. It just it feels really well earned by our our protagonists, and it feels like a natural next step. Yeah, it's it's good stuff. I think it also helps that in in Z Ranger we haven't seen the Megazord yet, and so like this is genuinely the strongest tool in their arsenal for now. Um, and so that that I think is a good thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Pat, if you had to pick one, what what is your high point in this episode? What or who uh, g- gave you the the best bits? I think Geki's approach to the uh the demon sword just really felt like it was it was him being I am the leader. I I can do this. I must do this for me, for my team, for the future of humanity. I will take that burden. It, it just it kind of it it really felt heroic. I mean, I love I love my boy Goshi. He is 100% my favorite character, and he had some amazing bits in this whole two-parter. But I feel like Go- uh, Geki really stepping up really helped like cement him as the, the front-runner for the team. 100%. Um, Geki... Geki had some big Red Ranger moments in, in this two-parter, and they were, they were really, really good. Um, yeah, like, I, I love his bromance with Goshi. I think that it's very good, actually. But but I also I love the fact that like when when things get hard, Geki does what has to be done. And again, he does it himself. Like not that he doesn't lean on his friends and they don't help him. But like I feel like the implication of that scene with with the demon sword would have been much much different if it had been like Mei and Goshi prying the sword away from him and throwing it away than it was then just giving him the opportunity to regain himself. Um, and I think that was really really well done, and it really cast a like a big damn hero light on Geki, which is is good. He's the leader. Yeah. Well, all right, guys, that is going to be our episode for today. Thank you all for joining us. Um, as always, if you have not done so yet, we want to hear from you guys. Uh, you can email the show at bandorapod at gmail.com or get at us on various social media at bandorapod. Uh, Pat, if our listeners want to get a hold of you on social media, where can they find you? Our listeners can find me, if they so choose, on Twitter at PokeRangerPat. And you can, can find me streaming on Twitch, uh, also at PokeRangerPat. Awesome. Uh, And if you're interested in seeing more of 
me trying and failing to be funny on the internet. Uh, you can follow me personally at BBR Jolly on Twitter. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Jolly by Nature. Have not streamed in a while, but I'm I'm putting pieces in place. Um, I'm not sure if it's going to be primarily YouTube, primarily Twitch, or a combination of the two. But I'm trying to produce video content again, and, and hopefully that'll be coming out, honestly, before this podcast does. Um, so yeah, be on the, on the lookout for that. But yeah, so next week on Tuesday, we will be back and we are headed back to the familiar waters of Angel Grove, California, as we head back into Mighty Morphin Power Rangers with episode three, Teamwork. But that's going to be our show for today, guys. Thank you very much for listening. As always, I have been Steven. And I'm Pat. And we have to go because we have a splitting headache. Oh, he's got such a headache. Somebody bring me a